Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Okay, so before I introduce the guest, I want to ask you guys a quick favor. I promise it will only take a minute. If you can please go to iTunes, give me a five-star rating, a short, short review, glowing, of course, would be preferable. I would really appreciate it. Today on the podcast, Sean Rankin. Sean is a producer, EP, showrunner extraordinaire. He has been doing reality television since the old days of the real world. So he started where it all started and worked his way up over the years. He talks all about what he's learned from working with those pioneers, Buna Murray, and also P. Diddy and Tyra Banks. He's worked with a lot of interesting and creative people who have taught him a lot along the way. He shares some of those lessons. He shares the keys to producing 11 seasons of VH1's hit show, Basketball Wives. We also have an interesting conversation about the state of diversity in our industry, which is not something that I really get to talk about a lot. Okay, Sean. Hey, how are you? (laughs) Um, Good. Thanks for having me. Your gorgeous home. Oh, thank you. I have no idea where the hell I am. (laughs) (laughs) That's the point. Exactly. All I can tell, I won't disclose your location. I will say I've been winding around and and, uh, trying to like go to dead end streets for the last hour. It's a secret layer, but I love it. It is. It's a little hideaway. (laughs) You, You can feel very, it's like a fortress. You don't have to worry about anyone finding this place. Let's stop talking. Yeah, yeah. And that's enough. (laughs) And so I just met you about 10 minutes ago um, and I've heard a lot about you. So I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but your name has come up many times. Okay. Okay. All right. (laughs) Your ears are ringing or bleeding. Um, Yeah. Many, I, I of course can't remember everybody that's mentioned your name, but it's come up many times. I know we have a lot of friends in common. You've been knocking around a while. Um, And I thought, you know, I, this, and the other thing that's come up is that I can't tell you how many people message me and say, when are you going to have on somebody from basketball wise or, you know, that whole, and I'm like, okay, well, I actually know someone through someone who is the guy. Well, here we are. And here we are. Here we are. Yeah. So I pulled up your IMDb. I don't do a lot of research, um, not because I'm lazy, but because <laughs> I don't like to have, you know, sort of like everything in my head before I kind sure. of just like get to know you organically. Um, but obviously I need to know your work and I know that basketball wives is not the only thing you've done with your life. <laughs> well, it's been the last nine years. But, yeah. Uh, and somehow yeah. you fit in like 50 other shows. I don't know. It seemed like there were a lot of shows. The breaks in between. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is crazy. So it looks like from your IMDb page that you started at Bonamari, but I could be totally wrong. Yeah. My first show was Real World Hawaii, actually, as an in-house PA in 1999. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I remember that season. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ruthie, so Tech, Maya. Yeah. Right. Maya. Mm-hmm. So what, so where, who are you? Where are you from? How'd you end up in LA with Real World? Uh, okay. So how did I end up in LA? Um, I, well, I went to school at Arizona State. Where did you, where are you from? I'm from New Jersey originally. Oh, you are? Yeah. Where? Yeah. Freehold, New Jersey. Yeah. Or Springsteen. Yeah. I was going to say that. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, okay. If you sit on my house, you could see Six Flags in the distance. Is that exit nine? Uh, 7A. 7A. Come on. It's been a while. It's been, I used to know my exits like nobody's business. 7A and 100 off the, the parkway. Okay. <laughs> nice. Um, but I moved to, uh, I went, well, I went to Arizona State, like I said, and then moved to LA in 1999. Yeah. September of 99. And, and did you know you wanted to go into TV? You know, it's funny because, you know, the guys in my fraternity, surprisingly enough, there are 10 of us that are either EPs, managers, or agents. Really? Yeah, from within two pledge classes, which is really odd. But what were you guys talking about in college? <laughs> it's funny. Were you it, watching Entourage? I wish. If I, it was that young, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we were trying to be Entourage before it was Entourage. Okay. No, um, you know, that was like, you know, 
spelling days, right? So you're like, you know, 90210, Melrose Place, okay. all that sort of stuff. Ah, so we were like, yeah, just 90s TV, right? Yeah. But I don't know how we all wound up either doing either agency work or PAing or what have you, but, you know, we have people across the spectrum from EPs on, on film to, you know, TV and what have you. So anyone in Unscripted? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Ruby Goulam. Um, oh, yeah. Fred Burkhead. Um, let's see. Who else? Uh, Scott Paskoff, his twin brother, Andrew. Um, but Andrew didn't go to school with us. Um, <laughs> and then we have agents and managers, uh, Jason Shapiro, uh, Kyle Haramoto a writer. Actually, we have two guys sort of, uh, Steve Lillian, who actually created God Friended Us or God Friended Me and uh, Alcatraz. And then we have... Oh, wow. um, uh, Kyle Haramoto, who's a writer for, he was back in the day for Las Vegas, Hawaii Five O. Um, yeah, it's it's really it's amazing how many people are in the industry at a, at a, a really good level um, from just our two years in school. Wild. All right. Yeah. So obviously you guys were all gravitating toward Los Angeles. Yep. Well, a lot of them are from here. Like the, mainly the guys in my house were from Southern California. So we just sort of gravitated back home. Got it. Yeah. And so for you, you were across the country and you just said, you, did you watch the real world? Did you want, always want to work on it? Watch the real world, applied for the real world, rejected from the real world. Oh, like <laughs> so, to be yeah. on it. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I actually got there, I was like, oh, this is the inner workings. Now I know what it's like from the inside. And uh, it was Did you find thing. out when you got there why you were rejected? You know, word on the street was I wasn't urban enough for the <laughs> for the black guy on the show. That's I mean, hilarious. Because that was back in the day with like Kevin Ke- and Cyrus. I know Kevin. Yeah, Kevin that was, Powell, he was right? first season. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, he was know, cray cray. I mean, here's the prep school kid yeah. coming in. It's like right, oh, no, that's, right. that's not what we're filling here. <laughs> but I feel like that's a different genre, genre right? It is, like but that, you know, you, you got to fill in the blank. Right? Okay, they so. really just wanted their tokens. I don't know. I will never say that. I think it was definitely a cross section, but. You know, it just at the time it wasn't what was working. Yeah. So, but happier to be on the other side. Yeah. And happier to have been able to work with John and Mary Ellis in that capacity rather than being a cast member. Yeah. You know, because I learned everything I possibly could from the two of them. I've heard from a lot of people that started in the same shop that, you know, they always sort of have become mentors. Like a lot of people that were sort of like proteges of Mary Ellis. No question. I would not be anywhere near where I am without John and Mary Ellis. No question at all. I mean, from just sort of the nurturing environment and the educational sort of moving of people between departments, they just had a vision of what they wanted people to be able to do. And if you wanted to work hard, they wanted you to work hard with them. You know? And I don't think people understand, and I would like to get John on the podcast. Mary Ellis has sadly passed away probably I don't know, over 10 years ago, I think. Yeah, it's been about point. 10, maybe 11. Yeah. Actually, no, it's a little bit longer than that because Kathy died right after. So yeah, I think 10, almost 11 years now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were just so, I mean, they were the pioneers, essentially, of everything that we all do now. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, um, our everyone in our industry knows it, but I don't think the general public truly understands like who they are and that they're not just the Kardashian producers. Do you right. know what I mean? Like the, 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 the real world changed everything. They, they perfected it. I mean, it was a science that they truly just sort of went in the lab and made. And it was the blueprint for things that came behind it, you know, and then the challenges were the blueprints for the, the competition series that came beyond that. You know, they were just a great, you know, what started as a mom and pop shop that became a beast, you know, between John and Mary Ellis and, and Gil's sort of direction. It's become this behemoth, you know, which is incredible for them because that's what hard work does. Um, but it was the most amazing sort of learning playground for us. Cause it was a place where, you know, you could bring your dog and there were like scooters in the office and, <laughs> you know, you just had a really great creative environment, but you knew you were there to work and to, to hone a craft. 
I love that. So what was your first job, PA? Yeah, I was an in-house PA for uh, Railroad to Hawaii and then moved over to researching for road rules under Bruce Toms. And then Julie Peasy actually gave me my first uh, producing job, uh, which was on road rules season 10. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So what was that like? You know, I'd done a I'd done a, um, a stint as a coordinator, like an international trip coordinator for real world New Orleans. Mary Ellis and John called me in their office and said, hey, what do you think you're good at? And of course, I'm like, oh, whatever you want me to do. <laughs> um, so I got to plan the, the cast trip. So that was um, the trip to Africa for season nine. And that was really sort of where I cut my teeth on sort of travel shows and I was able to, you know, arrange all that sort of stuff. So Julie said, Hey, you know, since you did that internationally before, why do you try producing on, on this show? But, you know, coming up with the different missions and challenges. So jumping in the deep end, you know, and it was with a group of really cool, smart individuals that, uh, were road, like road warriors or road dogs, if you will, you know, that were in there, like testing out the games and figuring stuff out and taking it on the road. And honestly, season 10 through 12, my favorite favorite chapter of, of television for me ever because you were just learning everything and it was like, you know, like beg, borrow <laughs> steal, you know, I mean, yeah. we had like $2 to do stuff and you know, you were coming up with crazy stuff. Like, I know we'll put these people on a crane and they'll jump into a cavern and they'll do this. <laughs> and you know, and you had to actually figure it out yourself too. So having that go from sort of like chalkboard or dry erase in the office to actually seeing it done in the wild is an amazing thing. And to see sort of how these kids lives unfolded as this was all happening was just cool too. You know, it was really the days when you just plugged people in and let it go. Yeah. And so that was a lot different than sort of what we're doing now. Um, Cause you know, obviously schedules are tighter and things are, are different, but it was just a really interesting social experiment to be part of. And I, I love that chapter of my life. Well, and you were also young. I mean, you were, you were their contemporaries in a way, right? Yeah. I mean a little older than them. I started when I was yeah. 27. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. Wait. So what were you doing? Right out of college, then. Oh, so I was bartending okay. <laughs> out of college, and <laughs> I worked fill for, in the blanks. for the uh, for the Fiesta Bowl, the football classic in Arizona. I was uh, doing event coordination for them, oh. and uh, wound up becoming a manager for Gordon Beer's Brewing Company, and that's how I actually wound up in Southern California, um, doing that whole process of applying for Real World. Oh, interesting. So mm -hmm. it wasn't like you knew you were going to do TV. It was always sort of in the back of my head that I wanted to do something in entertainment, but what was it and how to get into it was the question. You know, it's one of those things where you figure, okay, I got to get there first and just sort of go headlong into it and figure out, you know, once you get in the water, how to navigate. Cause I sure didn't know, <laughs> you know, how I was going to get here. So how many years on road rules? Oh, wow. Um, let's see. I did rule eight, nine, uh, some of 10, 11, 12, 9, 10, 11, <laughs> a lot, a 12, lot of years, 9, 10, 11 and 12. Yeah. And then challenges in between. So f is that like five years? Um, yeah, about four and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. And then did you get sick of it or you just got poached for another show? Like what no, happened went over to, uh, to top model, which was, you know, the sort of new thing on the block. Um, and that was just an amazing experience too. But it's, and what was your role? Were you a producer at that point? By yeah, the time I, was, you went over? I was a senior producer when I went over to, uh, to top model. Um, I directed on road rules. I coordinated and produced on road rules. I'd segment produced on road rules. So the next thing to sort of do that was, uh, I did the casting episodes for top model and then I did the international episodes for top model. Amazing. Mm -hmm. I love top model back in the day. I mean, I probably watched the first six seasons or whatever. I mean, a lot. And, uh, I have to ask, Give me your best Tyra story. 
Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Putting you on the spot. No, no, because I was on season three and four. Okay. So I definitely watched those. So, okay. So you remember the whole thing with Tiffany. We were rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. Do you remember that one? Was she the plus size one? No, that was Takara. Oh, Takara. Who is amazing, by yeah, the way. Yeah, wait, remind me who Tiffany is. Tiffany. It was a girl that, you know, she had been on, she'd gone through season three casting and she made it to the finals and then got rejected. Yeah. But they really liked her story. So they brought her back for season four yep. and she made it into casting and she made it in, you know, onto the show. And then, you know, she really struggled. Her family, you know, she came from this, you know, sort of socioeconomic, you know, like depressed area in Florida. And she, you know, her grandmother sacrificed to get her, her clothes and whatnot. And then her attitude just sort of changed when she got there. She just sort of became disillusioned and she stood up in a, um, and judging one time and just had a really bad attitude. That's when Tyra lost her. There's still memes of it all over the place. It was like the iconic Tyra flip out moment. And I was on the phone. We were waiting for her for a conference call and they were in the control room, uh, you know, going through things. And she was supposed to get on the phone when they were done. Right. And then all you just hear is, um, we'll call you back because you can hear this yelling in the background. And, we were and then we saw okay. it after this, the fact. And it's all coming back to me now. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty, pretty crazy. I mean, she was really, the one thing about Tyra is that, you know, she really took time with these girls and invested in them, especially in the early days, yep. you know, when she didn't have the talk show and all that sort of stuff, this was her baby. Right. And for her to really sort of cultivate these girls from a women's empowerment perspective. And she was working with like a lot of other, you know, female groups too, whether it be summer camps and things like that. So that was sort of her passion at the time. Um, and I think it really upset her when this girl really sort of took a left when she had this national opportunity, international opportunity, really. Um, so to hear that, Looking back on it, I understand why, but it was epic. It was yeah. epic in the moment. I knew, you know, that it came from a, a place of just wanting this girl to succeed, yeah. you know, and it wasn't anything that was like orchestrated. That was a true passion because she wanted this girl to do well. And I think she was heartbroken, you know, and it, it's hard to, it's hard to really sort of put that into perspective in the moment, especially I think from Tiffany's perspective. But I think looking back now, she realizes what an opportunity it was. Um, it was just different in those days. Yeah. So it's interesting. So top model, cause I, when I look at your, all your credits and we'll get into basketball wives, but I mean, you've worked on primarily female centric shows. Mm -hmm. And so, but top model really sounds like it was the first one because road rules was pretty much equal. Right. I mean, yeah. in that way. Yeah. So what, what made you, I mean, was it sort of like a hard adjustment to kind of, you know, dealing with you know, young girls all living in a house and all the drama and kind of being able to produce a female centric show as a guy. What was that like? And were you nervous about it that you, that you, you know, as a guy, you couldn't sort of get inside their heads and, and produce it the way that, you know, maybe a woman would. No, actually, no, I don't think so. And I think, you know, the, the training that we got under, you know, Meryl's and John was really sort of like, these are subjects and you're watching them in sort of their, their habitat. <laughs> you plug it in and, and, it, and it goes, you obviously set up the framework for them. So if you're doing your job as a producer, you're, you're putting them in framework that is supposed to execute the way that you hope that it will. Right. So you're designing challenges that are based on information that you've been given by people in the industry. So you do your research, you build it out and then living together. Okay. So you make sure the house looks nice, you know, <laughs> but you really, really just have to sort of watch them and try to psychologically be one step ahead of them um, and understand sort of what their movements would be. Um, and there were a lot of women on the staff too, that sort of would help give you that guidance of like, okay, well this might be why this is happening or she probably feels this way because, um, 
But, you know, having a degree in psychology and one in sociology, I was sort of like, oh, well, all right, this is an interesting dynamic. This is why this is happening. Put them in this group and this is where it probably will go. Um, so it wasn't that difficult, really, especially because, you know, the way that Tyra was sort of hands on with everything and really sort of making uh, the challenges uh, realistic, it really helped to sort of guide that framework and guide us as as producers, whether we be male or female, um, to make it an authentic thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So then what happened after Top Model? Do you remember? Ooh, that was 2004. <laughs> okay. um, so then I was doing, I did a stint of directing on making the band for 11 seasons. Wait, um, you worked on it for 11 seasons? Mm-hmm. I didn't even know it went that long. Yeah. Well, there are multiple versions of like, you know, the, the boy band, the girl band, um, Danny DeCane and, and uh, Day 26 right, together. Had, yeah, right. they went on tour. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So did you work closely with Diddy? I did. And actually wound up doing another show with him afterwards, which was I want to work for Diddy for right. VH1. So, right. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. So tell us a good Diddy story. Oh, wow. So many Diddy stories. Well, tell us something that would surprise us about him. You know, as as a producer, I think he taught me some of the best lessons, whether he thought he was doing it or not, you know? Um, because he is who he is, um, and because he's sort of, you know, at this level where, you know, so many people want to be, um, it's about watching and observing and listening to everything that he's saying, but really sort of putting it through your own filter, if that makes sense. Um, he taught me a lot about, uh, what battles to fight, which ones that you just can't win, when to shut up, when to speak up. Um, you know, and he taught me the meaning of not being afraid to speak up. Because that's one thing that I thought that he really taught the collective was like, he wants you to challenge him um, in the sense of if you believe in something, then speak up. Don't be afraid of because who he is or, you know, the things that you think, you know, um, that your point's valid as well, you know. But having said that, it probably was intimidating to stand up to him. Um, <laughs> I would have been intimidated. Depending on the moment. Sure. Depending on the moment. Like you, like, like I said, I learned when to pick my battles. <laughs> right, right, right. right. But right, right. I think if you had a point and it was for the greater good, then you step out there on that limb. And if it breaks, it breaks. Um, but I learned a lot from him. I definitely did. Um, it was, it was a good, it was good learning experience in the sense that it taught me not only about how to be a producer, but about being a compassionate person too, because you have to sort of deal with all that's in his world, whether it be, you know, the people that are affected by him or his actions or the choices that he makes or the selections that he made with people or, you know, how the girls are being handled that day or how the band was being handled or was so-and-so kicked out of the group. All those sort of things sort of were in his wake. So I had to learn all those skills too. Yeah. It's interesting because he and Tyra are both, I mean, I would call them both moguls. What do Absolutely. you think they, cause I'm obsessed with entrepreneurship and mogulship is mogulship a word. <laughs> um, what do you think is the, like, if you had to say a commonality between them that you witnessed up close, what do you think has made them kind of breathe that rarefied air where they've been that successful? It's drive. There's no question. It's drive. Um, his whole thing, you know, can't stop, won't stop. Um, sleep when you're dead, you know, um, he is the epitome of like, I will not sleep until this is all done. Um, and, if you were rocking with him and you were doing the things that you had to do to, to keep the show going, you were up with him. You know, I used to sleep with my phone on my pillow because <laughs> I knew he would call in the middle of the night. He's like, what are you sleeping for? You know? So, wow. cause he would have ideas in the middle of the night and want to share. He'd text you in the middle of the night, you know, and you'd wake up with drool on your face. Yeah, like, that's what always amazes me, amazes me though, as someone I call myself a sleep bitch cause I need my sleep. Like how do <laughs> these people function? Like, doesn't he get tired? You know, I think that he wants to literally squeeze every ounce out of life that he can. Yeah. He just does. And I've, I've, I've seen it where he's just gone, gone, gone. And 
you just have to keep up. And if you can't get out of the way. And is Tyra the same way? Tyra is driven in a different way. Like, I don't think she deprives herself of sleep by, <laughs> well, by a stretch. Beautiful but, for a reason. Of course. <laughs> but she, you know, she puts her, her fingers in a lot of different, you know, pies. I think that she knows what she's good at. And I think that she taps into things, isn't afraid to spin multiple plates. Um, and isn't afraid to really sort of pursue what she finds interesting. And I think that so many of us, myself included, get sort of mired down in the day to day that you like, you can't seem to see your way out sometimes. And she's just sort of very good about looking at things from a macro perspective rather than getting stuck in the minutia. Um, and she wants it. She's hungry. I mean, like the Harvard business school thing and, you know, just starting multiple companies. And she knows that if she sets her mind to something, she's going to do it. And they both seem to have an inordinate amount of confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like just a very good sense of themselves. No question. Which is no question. Yeah. That's cool that you got to sort of, you know, learn at the mat, learn See at the feet close. of the masters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a, a privilege, a, a rare, a rare privilege, you know, trust me, the days were tough. <laughs> there were days where like, Oh my God, is this going to continue? But, um, I, on the other side of it, none the worse for wear and far better than I think I was when I started. Did you ever see Diddy lose a shit? I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> okay. I, can nor I think deny. we can take that as yes. Okay. So that <laughs> I was. I may or may not have been on the receiving end of it. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Well, it makes you tough, right? What it, doesn't kill you makes you strong. Yeah. And I will, I will say those moments, um, you definitely learn about intestinal fortitude. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard these two words together. I like it. Um, was that New York? That was New York. Well, New York, um, we did part of the seasons in Miami okay. um, and they traveled too. Okay. So. Yeah. I was thinking about, um, I've interviewed a few showrunners for the podcast and, you know, and I, and I have showrunner friends that I haven't interviewed. Um, it, it takes a certain kind of person to do what you do. I mean, be, and I'm referring specifically to the travel part of it and the grind and sort of, uh, you know, right before we started recording, you said, you know, you kind of had had like two breaks since 1999 and it's, it is, it does, I mean, not everyone can do it. I think sometimes people can do it for a short period of time, but to do it for as long as you've been doing it, do you just thrive on the adventure part or the travel part or the adrenaline? Like what's the, what's the thing that you love the most? Um, you know, it's funny because before you got here, I was just, I threw my luggage in the other room because I hadn't unpacked. <laughs> yeah, he just, just back got home. Ago. You're probably still jet lagged. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm used to living out of a suitcase. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think the travel is, is a key for it. I mean, that's absolutely fuel for the fire. Um, you know, 49 countries and counting. Wow. You know, and that's the majority of that's from work. So amazing. I mean, that's, and what about the country? What about right behind you? That whole thing is all different places that I've been around the world. Wait, who that did, I took from, from work. You did that? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Did you do that too? Yeah. Well, I know this is not a visual medium, but I'm looking at, how am I going to show people this? Maybe I'll take a picture for the, for the website. Wow. So you're an artist. Kind of. Yeah. You're an artist. You're an, ama an amazing photographer too. Thank you. Holy shit. I got to study that after we're done. Wow. That's really cool. So you're like a student of life. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm trying to be as observant as I can in all the environments that I get you know, lucky enough to be placed in. Um, and, you know, we've seen, you know, all over Africa, all over the United States, all over Europe, you know. Asia, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, we've been all over the place for all these different shows and it's, it's been a privilege. It's been a lot of hard work, but it's definitely a privilege. And I think the sacrifice that you put in going to work every day, the reward is getting to go where you get to go. Yeah. And so I'm guessing from the 49 countries, I was going to ask you what your favorite country is, but given the 
Anglophileness around me. I'm guessing it's England, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, there's a lot of British uh, paraphernalia. South <laughs> Africa is a favorite. Okay. Um, well, my family's from the Cayman Islands, so that's oh, always a favorite. Nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think South Africa was the most incredible country to me, um, and that was the first time I traveled for work, and I think I had the most sort of eye-opening experience there. I've gotten to go back a couple times subsequently for for work as well, and it's it still holds that that place. Um, and French Polynesia was amazing too. Wow. Yeah. So I think those would be the tops. I haven't done anything in Scandinavia yet, which is on the, on the bucket list, but yeah. uh, I don't know what show is going to be shooting in Norway. Anytime yeah. Soon. Well, unless it's like a pure travel show, which I was going to ask you, have you ever done an, just a travel show? Not a travel show specifically, which yeah. is some of the stuff that I'm working on now. Oh, nice. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's definitely sort of what I hope the next evolution is. Yeah. That um, kind of is like the perfect marriage of your two things. It is. And you know, you can do an episode in a week and be done. Yeah. <laughs> You're not there for 22 weeks, which yeah. is, you know, sometimes our long schedule. Right. But, uh, so I want to talk a little bit about basketball wives, but um, I want to refer people actually to Noah Pollock's podcast, uh, executive producer, because he has a fantastic episode with you and Tom Huffman who about the evolution of basketball wives and he, his podcast kind of talks about a specific show and it talks to usually the showrunner and the executive at the network or some iteration of that. And it's a great story um, of how, how the whole thing came to be. So I don't want to kind of tread on the same territory and I encourage people to listen to it anyway. It's just a really fun, cool podcast. Um, so, but that is a show that you've done. And I talked a little bit about it with Pam Healy. I don't know if you heard that one. I, heard it, but I, saw, I saw Pam promote it online, but I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah. So she talks a little bit about it as well. Um, what year did that? Ha- so you've been on it 11 seasons. 11 seasons. Yeah. And what year did that? You, you were on it from the pilot. From the pilot. Yeah. What, what? It, that was 2009. Okay. Yeah, 2009. And so that's basically taken up the last 10 years of your life. Give or take. Yeah. I mean, well, we, we, we started pre-production Thanksgiving of 2009 and started rolling 2010, January, 2010. Yeah. So yeah, eight years. Oh my God. Yeah. So you got to shape the show from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, we started out as eight half hours. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, you know, we were now what, 16, 16 to 18 hour episodes. I'm yeah. always curious about, um, hit shows and whether the people involved in the hit shows know their hit shows when they're being done. Like, you know, cause sometimes like if I have a show, cause I do mostly development and usually I'll get that gut feeling about something when I know I've kind of got something hot. Do you know what I mean? And like nine out of 10 are probably like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but you got that one where you're like, I, I know this is going to sell. Did you feel like when you started that you knew this was going to be something that would catch fire? No. <laughs> no, hey, be, that's honest. Yeah, I'll be totally yeah. honest with you. I mean, it just felt think, like another show you're doing. And no, I think we, we struggled to really sort of figure out what it was. You know, I think in the, the very beginning, you know, there was the idea of, okay, we're going to tap ourselves into these women's lives. And, and what is that? But, you know, how do we show those facets? And really, how do we dig into these relationships and really show sort of warts and all what this lifestyle is? Um, and in the very beginning, I would say like week two or three, we're just like, where are we going with this? Cause there was no template for it. You didn't, you know, we, we looked at housewives, but like that. Yeah. Really wasn't... So what was the context again? So, so like had Atlanta was coming out at the exact same time or there was like a New York had already come out. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and all the networks were like, we want our housewives. Right. And there were two versions of this being pitched at VH1 right. and they were up against each other. And <laughs> this is the cast that won out. Um, but when we got there, the idea was like, okay, well, what is the show? You know, is it the interaction with these women? Is it sort of like their lives with their husbands? And, you know, as we mentioned in, in Noah's podcast, sort of 
the idea of them being wives is sort of a misnomer in the sense, because by the time we got started, they, the majority of them were either on their way to being divorced <laughs> or breaking up with a fiance. That's like or, every, ha- I mean, there's no housewives on housewife shows anymore. It's, it's hilarious. You know, I, I think yeah. within the first three weeks of the show, everyone's relationships were on another, you know, on another level, either, you know, breaking up or divorcing or like, give me my ring back or so we just went with it. And the dynamic between the women though, because they were friends and had gone through all this stuff together was really what the show was. Yeah. And that's how it evolved. And the sort of trials and tribulations of what this lifestyle brings. Um, so I have some sort of like more macro questions about sure. producing a show like that and docuseries in general that, mm-hmm. you know, some of which I have my own opinions on, but I feel like people are interested in this, especially a lot of people listen who aren't in the business. So the first is like, I want people to understand the difference between, you know, sort of like a format show, like a road rules, which is, you know, there's a, there's a template and you're plugging in the challenges, whatever it is, every episode. And that is the same as top model, but then there's these docu-series, right? So basketball wives is, is a docu-series and it's, that's short for documentary. And basically it's following people in their lives. But like, obviously as producers, we're not sitting with cameras 24 seven in someone's living room and just waiting to see what happens. Cause that just doesn't work. So talk a little bit about like, I want a little sneak behind the curtain of, you know, when you're about to start a season, how, you know, in the scripted world is called like breaking story. And in the unscripted world, how do you kind of come up with how the season's going to look when you're following women who are living their lives? Well, I mean, when you take on a season, you know, the time of year that it's happening. So you sort of look at the calendar and realize, okay, we're going to be shooting from this time to this time. And then you just talk with the ladies and figure out, okay, well, what do you have going on in this time period? Do you have, you know, some of them have businesses that they've got. Some of them have family things that are happening. Some of them have, you know, big milestone things that are happening in their lives, whether it be engagement or a wedding or, you know, a kid's graduation, something like that. And we build things around those moments. Um, the way that, you know, the women really sort of participate in this process is that, you know, they sort of think about, okay, well, what do I want to share? You know, what in my life am I open to, you know, sharing with the world? And we tap into that. Um, you know, we sit down and have meetings with the women, you know, at the beginning of the season and really sort of figure out, okay, what's going to happen with you for the next, you know, 10 to 16 weeks and map that out. Okay. So that's the sort of like the building of the, of the bricks, but then how do you figure out how you're going to get the drama? Well, I mean, like inherently with the things that are going on with these women, it happens anyway. I mean, look, these are very strong women. They're very smart women. They're very savvy and they know sort of how this whole process works. Um, and they know, like, obviously people want to see things. Um, and to be honest, their, their dynamic is what it is. A lot of times we're like, whoa, that's, I wasn't even expecting that. <laughs> right. um, Calm down. Because yeah, these women <laughs> do have definite opinions about things and they know that the things that transpire under this microscope are not only sort of just in this little world, it's, you know, 4 million people are watching it every week right. and it's on TV or it's on the internet forever and ever. So you make a mistake, you cross someone, it lives in perpetuity, right? So it's like, oh, that has ramifications. So the drama is inherently there because it's like you make a misstep. Oh no, now you got to pay. So it's, it's not like you have to really sort of mine for the drama because I think that it, it exists. It, you just have to be aware of when it's coming. Right. That's what I was going to ask. So I'm always curious about that too. Like you, you know, a big fight happens and then that's in episode four, let's say of whatever, however many episodes in the season, how do you then, you know, sort of map, like pivot to figure out kind of like, okay, this is obviously going to be a bigger thing than just this one fight. How do you then adjust to sort of make sure that that now storyline catches, you know, 
continues then throughout the season. Well, I mean, look, it's a lot of spit and scotch tape sometimes <laughs> because <laughs> right. it's like sometimes things fracture and you're like, how do I put this back together? Right. Because sometimes you can't get him in the same room again. Yeah. You know, but that's that story. <laughs> right. right. So you have to follow that. Right. Right. Um, right. Every. Are you, know, you jettisoning, jettisoning a lot of stuff that you thought you were going to do in favor of sort of the new stuff that's actually happening? Yeah. Um, <laughs> all the time. Mark always calls it an ice sculpture because it's like it looks real pretty in the beginning <laughs> of the season. And it's amazing. It looks real great in the middle of the room. And then at the end of it, it's like this pool of water that you're like. <laughs> Like, what was that? That's a, um, that kind of describes all of it. Yeah. It's, it's totally how it all works. That's but amazing. I think, you know, as producers, if we're doing our job, we are able to pivot and follow those things. But you also have to really sort of think about how do you illustrate these things to the audience? Because there's so many things that they don't see. Conversations that transpire when we're not there. Text messages, receipts, you know, all right. kinds of things that they do. Oh, I know. And as a viewer of those shows, it's so frustrating when you feel like, why am I not totally getting what they're yeah, talking not about? 100%. Yeah. Our ladies, I will say, they save the, they, they save, save it, it yeah. and they keep the receipts, which I mean, that was a whole season last week. Hey. Last season was receipts. Um, but, you know, it's really about, you know, really figuring out how to keep the train moving because it can really derail easily if they're not speaking to each other. So you have to come up with creative ways to explain the story, try to repair it on camera, have them have conversations about it, use outside sources, whether it be therapists or, you know, uh, workshop people or, you know, life coaches and things like that to really sort of help catapult that to the next level yeah, um, and see if they can get something you as the person they see every day might not necessarily always be able to get. Right. And so what people may also not realize is that, you know, while you're trying to actually produce a television show, probably 90% of your job is managing these women dealing with their texting you at all hours of the night of that, you know, and so how do you navigate kind of like not playing favorites and not siding with them? Like that's gotta be really, cause you've known them now for 10 years. Well, we've, you know, like we've had 20 plus cast members over the, the course of the, the time. Yeah. And so, you know, some come, some go. Right. Um, and they all have their stories and they all have their ways that they sort of handle things. And you learn sort of how to to deal mm -hmm. with the personalities that are presenting themselves at the time. I'm super fortunate in having a partner with like Mark, who he is sort of the the compassionate one who deals with them on the day to day and interviews them and really understands them at that level. I get to come in and be bad cop. Like dad says, right, you know? right, right. Um, but you know, I have my role in that too. I find that, you know, there are those that you connect with and those that you, you know, that you feel like, okay, someone is better off handling them for whatever reason. And you utilize those relationships. Um, and so I, you know, I think it is about managing these things because there has to be that sense of, um, knowing that these women are living their lives out loud. And that's not something that I would personally be able to do, <laughs> right. you know, even and, though you were willing to for the real world. Yeah. Knowing what I know now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God, you've learned a lot. <laughs> right. But you know, keeping that in mind that yeah. that sort of fuels everything and looking at that through that lens, you realize you do have to be compassionate with them in these moments and think about sort of the ramifications of what may have transpired and how they look at it, you know? Um, so you don't mind taking those calls. You don't mind, you know, sitting down on a curb, you know, smoking a cigarette <laughs> and drinking with them, you know, yeah. trying to help them process through things because it is a big thing. It is a big deal. You know, do you get emotionally invested? Like to the point where you're like, wait, what am I doing? You do. You do. <laughs> I think that people don't necessarily realize that either. You're on this journey with them. You are in the room when things are happening. You are privy to things that they may not know are coming and you can't share things like that. So you're this vault that has to really sort of hold all these stories. Oh God. And so y y when you know something's coming and then it does, you're like, oh, 
okay. You know, and then where do you go from there? Cause you can't betray one's confidence to inform another. You have to be this paragon of like, I can't share anything. Right. And you probably can't keep track of it. Like it would be hard for me to remember all the things I can't and can't can and can't say. I think, you get used I think you get used to it. There are those that have slipped up and have caused major problems, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but you know, you, you try to just sort of keep it all straight because right. it, it, it can be, it can be ruinous really. Right. Explosive. Yeah. So what has been your favorite part of producing the, you know, VPing the show and your least favorite part over the years? Wow. Um, you know, it's weird because, you know, having looked at it from a different level now you know stepping away from it I see it differently um it's a privilege to be part of something that is a piece of pop culture right and you you don't realize it when you're in the moment I'm just like oh we gotta get this done or oh yeah get these work you know these pickups done or these interviews or oh no this cuts due but what you're not always thinking about is that there are people that are literally waiting for your <laughs> show to come on and they can't wait to get on Twitter and talk about it and, you know, do their podcasts or do their, you know, their YouTube channels about it. That's the coolest thing to really know that you share this experience with really 25 people that really just sort of know how this whole thing works and are either on the show or behind the scenes and, only you know how that, you know, the special sauce is made yeah, and how that, that, is that cool. sausage is made. Um, so that's been probably the best thing to really sort of see something come from, you know, again, a dry erase board to TV. You know, that's that's been really cool. Um, the hard part is. Wow, there's so many pieces that are difficult. Um, but, but I wouldn't say that any of them aren't worth it though. That's the thing, you know, there, granted, there are moments when you, you're not happy or you're being faced with something that's not necessarily something you agree with, or do you think that certain choices that are being made or requests that are being asked of you are are reasonable or not in the bigger picture of things? Who cares? Right. I think that you just have to sort of realize that everyone that you're sort of working with is tasked to a certain master that they have to serve. Yes. And so things come at you from different directions and process them accordingly. But I think that's probably been the the most difficult part of it is really sort of sorting through all that. It's not just a big game where you're like, oh, when you sit down and watch TV, it's like you're one thing. When you're making it, it's another. Um, I don't know if that's clear or not. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Is it the kind of thing where it was just assumed or you assumed for yourself every, every season you would just go back or was it kind of like, oh yeah, I'm not going to do this season. And then it was like the mafia just, Oh no, we all were like, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Cause you have those 10 times, 11 times over. Oh yeah. I mean, we've all been like, <laughs> we're never doing it again, but you fall in love with it yeah. every time. And you're like, it's like a drug. It, well, it's not even that it's a drug. It's a family, you know? And that's, we've been really yeah. blessed on this show that it's been the majority of the crew. I'd say 85 to 90% wow. of the crew has returned season after season, after season, after season. And so for us, it's like seeing the people that you want to see, you know, it's like right. coming back to, to right. homeroom. Right? Right, right. Um, and, and the ladies, like you know, I have pictures of them on, you know, sitting over there um, that, you know, you've been with them since their kids were in high school or like, you know, their kids getting married or all kinds of things. Yeah. So like you check in with them, you know, it's so it's, um, it's something that's sort of like, it's bittersweet sometimes. Yeah. You know? Well, but, it is going to be bittersweet because now you're, you're walking away. New chapters beginning. New chapters beginning, and you know, I, I wish the the new folks best of luck. It's it's a beast, but it's it's. Are we allowed to talk about what happened? 
I mean, I don't, I don't know specifically sort of all the details of stuff, but it's moved on to another production company. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was a, a network decision. And, you know, I think sometimes change is good. Yeah. Sometimes change is good. You know, I think to, to refresh stuff is always good and to, to infuse new blood is, is always something that could, you know, hopefully give something longevity. You know, I would never have thought that nine years later we'd be sitting here talking about basketball, (laughs) but here we are. And it's a beast that still continues to need to be fed. And so hopefully, you know, new people will bring new things. So what's the next chapter look like for you now? Wow. Um, well, you know, I'm working on some of my own stuff. Uh, Mark and I have our own little production pod called uh, devil cat media. Devil cat. Devil cat media. Okay. Why? So, Mark is uh, oh, a wildcat from it. University of Arizona. I'm a sun devil from Arizona State. Devil Cat Media. Devils obviously get top billing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Um, but funny. we are working on our, our own slate of stuff, and uh, hopefully, we'll be able to to put some stuff out there. We, we had some success. You know, previously we had a special on TLC. Um, we had uh, a deal with A and E for some development stuff. So. We're slowly working on some stuff as we can carve out time for ourselves. And I think that's what this break is really going to allow me to do. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I know that I hear that a lot from showrunners or showrunners turn development people that, you know, you're grinding it out and you don't have time to kind of like you've met this talent some, but somewhere that could be a great show or you had this idea, but you haven't had time to sit down and really flesh it out. And mm-hmm. that's what time affords you because you literally can't do anything else when you're show running. Yeah. I mean, when you're beholden to someone else and like you're playing with the church's money, you can't, you can't just run off and do your own thing. (laughs) Right. Um, so I think, you know, this sort of squirreling stuff away for a minute and allowing myself to really sort of focus on, you know, the things that we have on our slate is really going to be beneficial. Do you want to sell your stuff, then produce your own stuff or is the goal to kind of, you know, step away from the day to day of show running? I mean, I would love to have this embarrassment of riches where there's multiple <laughs> things going. You can't be all places yeah. at one time. But, um, you know, I think for the the first couple, I think I think it'd be important for Mark and I to sort of be at the helm of it just to make sure that things are sort of done the way we've done things. Um, and then hopefully it'll it'll be a situation where stuff will sell and they'll bring other people in. And, you know, it'll be a problem where like, oh, well, which one shall we fly to today to see how it's going? <laughs> yeah, um, that sounds good. But we'll see if, if that's the case. And do you want to stay only in unscripted or do you have other ideas? There's a couple of scripted things that we're talking about. Um, you know, it, that's not a world that I've really sort of dabbled in. You know, I'm hopefully be able to tap into some of the, the frat brother resources and see sort of how they make their stuff um, and really get a better sense. Um, luckily, you know, privileged enough to, to know people that have had success, you know, both as writers and show creators. So hopefully I'll be able to, uh, to mine those resources. And as someone who's been in the business a while, what are the changes that you've seen that you're psyched about? What are the ones that you kind of are more, you know, nostalgic for just as kind of like one of the elders. And I put that in quotes because you're still relatively young. No, legit old. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, for our business is young. So if you've been in from the beginning, then you're an elder. Do you know what I mean? True, true enough. True yeah. Enough. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely changed. It's, it's, and it's evolving every day. I mean, it's changing so much as we speak. Um, you know, I, I miss a good house show. I really do. I miss a good, like plug them in and just watch. I miss that. Um, cause it was such the, you know, the psychological experiment, you know, and it was like hunting people. It was really cool. Um, I miss realistic schedules. You know, <laughs> I miss, I miss and timelines. Budgets. Yeah. That, you know, timelines and budgets that were like conducive to making solid shows and not having to sacrifice sort of, you know, well, Okay, well, I guess they won't eat this week, and you know, I guess they won't do this. Um, but but I understand, like the 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 model is changing. You know, um, I'm excited about that though, in a way, because it's 
causing me to stretch other muscles and to, to flex other muscles and learn new things um, about how these new models are supposed to work and how to sort of, you know, do things this new way. Um, is it easy? No, but um, it definitely is something that's, that's forcing change. Um, and I'm interested to start working with other uh, entities and outlets, you know, the streaming is obviously the way of the future. So I'm interested to see how that really works and what that arena looks like. Cause we're so used to the network side of things and how that machine works. Um, you know, I think that that's definitely an entity that, uh, has an introduction waiting for me. Yeah, for sure. So a couple stock questions that I ask if I have time at the end of every podcast, Sure. what is your greatest professional accomplishment? I wish I could say it was a, an Emmy, but I can't <laughs> yet to uh, come. I wish I could say it was an NAACP image award, but I can't, <laughs> um, you know, I'm proud of all my kids really. <laughs> um, I think probably, and it sounds really simple, but being invited to go back to Arizona state and speak to classes by my old professors, I think is probably the biggest part of it. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest. I have a question speaking of that. I don't know what made me think of that, but as a person of color in our industry and as a guy, I just don't meet that many black men who are in big positions of power in our industry. Like it, it makes me mental I've, for that matter, women too, but it seems like a little more women for some reason. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you've noticed too? Or am I just crazy? Oh no, we, <laughs> we've talked about this for a long time. Yeah. Um, we yeah, always I'm used curious. to joke among the, the few of us that there are, we always used to say <laughs> that we can't be in the same room at the same time because it, it'll cause a problem. Um, there's actually a picture that we, that we posted from Paris. Um, Carlos King, Leola Westbrook and I were all in the same room and it's like, it said endangered species because <laughs> we, we were all together. Um, so, you know, it, it is a little disconcerting, but I think the tide is changing on that. Um, and I, I, I hope that people are aware of it and, and the conversations are being had. Um, but it definitely has always been sort of one or two or, you know, a handful of, and it's been like that for a long time. But I think that if people are aware of it and people like you were having conversations about it. So I think that people are mindful of it and the recruitment is taking place that is trying to change that. I agree. And I think, did you watch surviving R Kelly? I did watch one of it, so, but I can't, uh, it is, I can't say that I, I could watch the whole thing. It, it's really hard. It's just to disturbing. Watch. It's, uh, but the reason I bring it up, it's so well done. And my friend Brie at lifetime championed it. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, Brie, she's mm -hmm. amazing. Um, but what I, I was texting her throughout the whole thing cause I was just blown away. But one of the things that struck me, which was really, really great to see. And so rare is that 90% of the experts were black or Hispanic or Latino. And it was like, wow, you actually don't see this. And it was so striking to me that they obviously consciously was like, we're going to get a clinical psychologist who's black. We're going to get a, you know, a, a, a therapist, like all of these. But that's the, that's the beauty of that because someone's smart enough to realize, know your audience, well, know who it's not just that. It's that the who people who, with. yeah, but it's also the people who made it. Well, that's what I'm saying. Are, who, who did the series. Right. So that's yeah. why it's so important. People don't understand that like that perspective, you know, if you have a bu bunch of white people in the room, they're not even going to think about, you know, maybe we should look at, you know, a more diverse panel of people. Oh yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Absolutely true. I mean, I've seen horrific situations where you're like, oh, you should not have said that. Or, oh, that's not how this is going to go down. Or you might want to rethink your approach <laughs> to this because that's not how they're going to take it. Yeah. Um, but even like, and I have another thing about this. Um, I don't know if you watch Bill Maher, mm -hmm. but it's always two men and a woman. 
Like, why can't it be two women and a man? Why can't it be? Th- or if it's not a woman, it's three men. Why can't it be three women? Like, it's just such archaic models of the way we think about things. And I just feel like that's because there's white men behind the scenes that are calling the shots. I mean, I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. Well, I mean, look, I think that is sort of a representation of what the hegemonic culture was before. But I think the idea of a diverse culture is something that is in the zeitgeist now. And it yeah. is the conversation that is at hand right now, whether it be more representation for representation for you know women or for people of color. That is the conversation that's taking place. And I think people are mindful of that now. So hopefully that is something that is changing in a way that we will see with marked results. Um, but I think we definitely have to be mindful of it. We have to continue to make sure that those you know positions are filled with diverse people across the board. Is that something when you're staffing up a show you are mindful of too? Oh, no question. Yeah. No question. Um, people that are on camera nine times out of 10 want to see faces that look like them yeah. because they want to feel represented. You know, <laughs> they want to understand that when they're having a conversation that they can turn to you and say, Hey, you know what I'm saying? Right. That's important. You know, and I think that you can't, you can't have, this is the mistake that I see. You can't have urban shows that are run by completely white crews. You can't do it because right. it just, there's, there are things that are lost in translation. Um, it's just not smart. I think that you're not representing, you're not representing your cast, but you're also not providing them an environment that is comfortable Yeah, and that they feel that they can actually operate within. And yeah. that's, that's important. A hundred percent. I did a pilot years ago called Curvy Girls and it was all plus size Latina models. Hmm. And, um, you know, I'm white. The network exec was white, even though it was for Nuvo, it was for a Latin network. And, mm-hmm. you know, we got a, a Latina showrunner who's great. Um, you know, and they all spoke in Spanish to her and it was just a completely different experience than if I had been doing it because it's a comfort level. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, I got along with them and they talked to me and stuff. It wasn't like anything weird. It was just like, Oh, she's one of us, you know, and there's an immediate trust there where that I'd have to build that over time. No, great. It's, it's about having the comfort of knowing that you understand my experience. Yeah. It just is what it is. It just is what it is. And I think it only provides you with a realistic environment. If you have someone in there that can help sort of buffer that lack of understanding from the outside. I like it. All right. Last question. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you watching now unscripted that you love or you recommend that you're excited about that you thought was great hmm. in the last year, let's say. <laughs> oh, in the last year. I'm so mad today. Um, I've been, I've been seeing the you still te- got a whole day ahead of you. Well, I've been seeing the Temptation Island uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. promos. I'm in 100%. Oh, yeah. That I'm, came in when my daughter was watching something with me. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> ruin her life even more. <laughs> I'm waiting for Celebrity Big Brother because um, I'm waiting to see if they can top the Omarosa season last year. It's going to be hard. Um, what else? You know, I'm, I'm anxious to see the new one of Basketball Wives when it comes out just to sort of see what it looks like. Um, you know, I think, I think that's really it. I mean, I'm excited to sort of see what the new season of stuff really has to offer. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, I'm not binging anything right now. Are you watching The Masked Singer? I saw one episode because I've been in Europe for the last right. you know, month, so I've only seen um, a, a snippet on YouTube, and I think it was Ricky Lake. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I feel like I need to see it. Yeah, it's yeah fascinating. Yeah, it's like, a, they're trying to guess. It's like, a great idea. Person? Yeah, and Izzy Ashcroft got to give her a shout yes. out. Yes, yeah, yeah. she. I don't know her. We're sort of Facebook friends, but I love her because. She couldn't go to Hamilton last minute and sold her tickets to me. Well, there you go. Yeah. So she's, I'm forever indebted to her. 
Good show. Yeah, yeah, really good. Well, you had said earlier something about being in the room where it happened, and I wanted to break out in song, but luckily for you, I didn't. This has been so great. I definitely appreciate the opportunity. 